Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, Cheryl, welcome to the podcast. It's fantastic to have you along. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Just to sort of get things started, just let us know, what are your current professional responsibilities? Hey, uh, welcome, Richard. Um, nice uh, for you to invite me today uh, to have a chat. Yes, so I'm currently the CEO of Southern Cross Support Services. Uh, we are a NDIS, so disability and child protection organisation, and we have an arm that is family daycare as well. So obviously it's about setting strategy, leading the business, um, looking at uh, innovative ways to, um, I guess, for growth mm-hmm. and into the future, looking at best practice and um, certainly um, ensuring that our staff and clients are, are looked after to, you know, to the best and the highest uh, services they could possibly get. Okay, fantastic. And from our prior conversations, I know that the uh, the business has been growing exponentially. Just give us a sense of the sort of the scale of the business. You know, where where do you operate from? How many employees do you have? And what are some of the the services that you offer to your uh, clients? Okay, uh, so we are uh, in July. Uh, we will be ten years old. Uh, it's not very old, is it? Uh, these days. But um, we've had a steady growth, that's for sure. Uh, the first four years or the first six years uh, grew from um, our directors started the business in their lounge room, in actual fact, Greg and Garrett, Karen Gaskin. Um, Greg was a support worker before um, and he decided there, there, there could be a better way to or there would be a better way to deliver services with people with a disability. Mm-hmm. So started in disability, um, started in Bundaberg, which is still our head office, um, and we have grown over the years to 1,045 staff today yeah. we have. <laughs> so quite a steady growth and it's been consistent year after year. Yeah. Um, we branched out into child safety after a few years um, and family daycare, that's long, long day family daycare, and have continued to grow ever since. Um, so we're about 50-50 now, so 50% of our work is in disability, which um, was disability and, and has moved across to the NDIS and most people would have heard of the NDIS, certainly one of the biggest uh, schemes to, to be delivered in Australia after Medicare. Um, it's certainly been an interesting ride um, with the NDIS, but um, it's been an amazing um, service for people that have not had services before for disability, mm-hmm. and they now do, and, and that's great. And certainly for a lot of young young people, um, and, and that's fantastic as well. So there's probably about uh, 500,000 participants across Australia mm-hmm. um, in the scheme, which is pretty amazing when you look at it um, really and look at the numbers and certainly services now, which has been one of the biggest growth industries over the last few years. There's, um, I think there's about 15,000 uh, or just over 15,000 businesses that are involved in the NDIS. So that's huge um, considering it's only been around for a few years. And, and so, 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 sorry, Cheryl, can I just uh, to clarify there are 500,000 people participating as clients. 
but that's not yes. 500,000 people who are clients of your organisation. No, no, absolutely not. Right. No. So this is, you know, Australia-wide, uh, yeah. there's, there's 500,000 or approximately 500,000 and all age groups, uh, which is amazing. And like I say, a lot more funding for younger people now um, that, have, that have a disability. So that's right. a great thing. And yes. so in terms of your business, uh, what's the sort of geographic reach? Okay, so in our disability services, we work um, in, in actually delivering services. We work from Cairns down to um, the New South Wales border. Yeah. In our plan management services under the NDIS, that's the financial side of the NDIS, we work um, across all states. Mm -hmm. um, in our support coordination, um, which is actually access support coordination, they're a partner of ours. Um, as is plan management, which is all plan management, they're also Queensland-wide. Mm -hmm. um, in our child protection, we work throughout Queensland from Cairns um, right down to northern New South Wales. Mm -hmm. And, of course, in, in uh, New South Wales, it's run by Faxia, mm -hmm. so the New South Wales government. Okay, great. And just to be clear, um, your business is not a not-for-profit. You're a for-profit provider of disability services funded by NDIS, correct? Yes, that's right. NDIS and child protection. Right. Um, so it is quite interesting for to be a large player, I guess you could say, in a not-for-profit world. Um, but, you know, I don't think these days it makes much difference, quite frankly. No. You know, it's all about the client. We're yeah. here to deliver the best services we can to help um, everyone or as many people as we can. And whether we're for-profit or not-for-profit is mm -hmm. something that we don't look at. Really, right? And do you think that this uh, the founding couple, when they were sitting in their lounge room eleven years ago, said, "Oh, I've got this idea. Why don't we start this business?" Would have any sense back then that it would grow to be over a thousand staff, or was this part of the plan? No, look, I don't believe it was a part of the plan at all. And um, you know, they are so hands on. They're they're amazing people. Um, I'm blessed to be able to work uh, alongside them. Mm -hmm. But you know, um, Greg and Karen, you'll see them in the office. Uh, they wander around. They are no different than anyone else. Um, Greg now and then will still pick a shift up with a client that's been with us for a very long time, mm -hmm. and it's it's fantastic. It's a great environment. It really is to see. Um, you know, a, a couple that started out and, you know, their belief was that um, every client should have purpose, belonging and security. We all need purpose in our life. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt. We need to be able to get out of bed with some sort of purpose. We all want to belong. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's just human nature, is it not, to, to belong to someone or something. And uh, security, we all want security. And if mm -hmm. we can bring that to our clients, then we've done our job. Well, exactly. I mean, if you just look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the first need is for food and shelter, for security. That's it. And then it's about being part of the community. And, yes. then it's, and then it's about having purpose. So That's it. For sure. Yeah. And, and, and Cheryl, I know that you've been uh, there as CEO for four years, and I'm really keen to sort of, uh, you know, learn more about your sort of four years of experience there. But before we get to that, um, I love to go back to where it all begins. And so uh, just tell us a little bit about, you know, where you were born and your mum, dad, brothers and sisters and what your early life was like. And uh, uh, I'd be excited to hear your career journey. Yeah, look, I, uh, I was born and bred in Brisbane in Wynnum. Right. 
Um, basically grew up on the water really because my family has always been in the seafood industry and my brother still is in the uh, seafood um, industry. So one brother and a sister. uh, So lived on the Bayside, um, had a wonderful um, life, uh, certainly or young life. Um, Mum and Dad uh, made us believe that there was nothing we couldn't do. If we didn't matter what we wanted to be, so long as we worked hard, then we could achieve that. And, you know, paid off for Mum and Dad and uh, certainly the rest of the family. So, you know, hardworking family, um, very family orientated, very blessed like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so started in in, um, in Wynnum and uh, went on, I guess, as a young person. All I wanted to do was work to take a job, play softball and work. That was certainly my, uh, my passion, my drive in life. And um, I started working when I was at school as did my children as well. Right. Um, and funny how that happens. You certainly instill, uh, you know, that love of work um, within your family, within your children. And um, I guess from a young age, what did I want to be? I wanted to be a hairdresser and I wanted to travel and go to Kenya. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> Crazy, hey? Crazy. Why, why Kenya? Look, I, I'm, I'm mad about culture. You know, right. what makes people tick? How do they live? Um, what's really different? Um, and, you know, and I, I have family in America, mum's family. Um, live in America, or a lot of them do, and it didn't interest me. I thought America was very much like Australia, mm-hmm. uh, and it is after travelling there. But you know, they are different. You know, we know we know that um, all countries have their own um, way about things. Mm-hmm. But certainly, going to more isolated areas and um, very very different cultures is something that still to this day I love. And uh, devastated uh, with COVID and not being able to to, you know, continue my love of travel. But, um, yeah, why can you? I don't know. I think it was because it was isolated. It was right. different. And, and, uh, in- and, of course, all of those, uh, the black ladies there have their beautiful hair with the braids and, the you know, the incredible True. things. So it's a, it kind of the combination of hairdresser and... and uh, Possibly. Uh, I, I, you know, I can connect the dots, Cheryl. And so, uh, <laughs> and, and so when you finished school, did you actually go and become a hairdresser or did something I else... Did. Okay. Well, I, I did actually um, and didn't stay there for as long as I thought I would. I ended up, um, you know, managing a Stefan salon, which I absolutely loved. And Stefan was quite new then, I guess, into right. Australia as well. Um, so it was a great journey and a really interesting, interesting man to work for. Um, and his sister Josie, um, I really admired the way they interviewed. I'd not seen anything like it before. It was the first time I'd had group interviews. Um, I still reflect back on those days of um, how he worked and how he treated his staff. His staff were absolutely number one mm. at all times. And um, you remember that young in a career, you really do. Um, and I mm. think it's so important for leaders today to understand that with with young trainees or young staff to come in because you really do influence them because that's when they are looking at their their career and their career's journey. Mm. Um, I went then, I had worked uh, for two jobs when I was at school and one was um, Collins Foods International, which were an American organisation, as you would know, or company that came into Australia. Um, And um, funnily enough, the first KFC store, which they obviously were the franchise holders of, um, was right behind our place in Wynnum. Um, So that was an interesting journey with them and and once again learnt a lot there but also learnt what it's like to work in a 
men's dominated industry really um you know we all talk about you know international women's day and i was just part of a a a a session on that last week Mm -hmm. um you know and about the i guess the glass ceiling for women and how that journey was and i certainly encountered it there um but learned a lot as well as as very very young right just just before you move on cheryl uh so uh, I'll tell you my Stefan story. My best mate when I was uh, going through high school who lived across the road from me, his sister uh, used to manage a, uh, a Stefan salon. And you know how you guys, you'd occasionally win his Porsche, which had the number one number plate and it was painted with a rainbow and so on. And, so yes. she'd, she'd, and anyway, one year uh, she managed to convince her brother and I to be dancers in the Ste- Stefan Hare Fashion Awards. <laughs> Oh really? Is that they were great? Yeah. So I you think may, I, I may have seen you there. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I was uh, I was a lot slimmer and I had a lot more hair back then. But uh, I must have been. I think it would have been about 1984, about 1984 probably. And I was about wow. 15, fifteen or sixteen or something. Anyway, we thought that if you could have a Stefan hairdresser as your girlfriend, you were <laughs> you, were, you made God. it. You were gone. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny, isn't it? They did. They had some great nights, actually. Uh, the mm. awards were really, really entertaining. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that's there you funny. Go. That's well. funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I guess that's really uh, in management. Stefan was my first um, there. And uh, then uh, Collins Foods International ended up uh, a state uh, manager there in training. Um, left there and um, left there and went on to um, actually moved out west, got married, moved out west to Charleville, so 11 hours from home. Um, Mum and Dad thought it was hilarious, um, as in, you know, there's no water out there and I'd grown up on the water all my life. Yeah. Um, and so they thought, you know, give her six weeks and she'll come home. She'll have that out, out of her system. Uh, no, that wasn't the case. It was, you know, many, many, many years later uh, did I leave there. But I've got to say it was a real change uh, for me. Obviously, it was different. Um, we're talking, um, you know, pretty well isolated from when you're, you know, used to managing a stepping salon, let's say, and driving around in, like you say, a Salika and um, going out west to working in the shearing shed as a cook. Can right. you believe that? And um, so your your husband was, uh, was a sheep farmer, was he? No, he wasn't actually. We both went out there. Um, he was a, a leather tanner uh, at that stage. Right. And um, we went out there for a few reasons, but I had a friend out there that I used to play softball with okay. um, that went out there for softball and right. uh, married a local and hence ended up out there right. for a career change, I guess, to have a look. And, um, you know, you have to do these things. You really have to get about and have a look of the world. And, um Wanting to travel, thought it was a great idea, and what an interesting experience, experience it really was. Mm. Um, I ended up in the shearing sheds, uh, cooking in the shearing sheds, which would I would honestly say would have to be one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Another funny coincidence, my brother, uh, for the last couple of years, has been a cook in shearing sheds over in um uh, just out of Albany in WA. So, uh, is that uh, right? And uh, yes, he tells me some of the stories about what goes on uh, in their accommodations after hours. Uh, and uh, Shearers, um, they're a rowdy bunch. 
They are. They work incredibly hard. Yeah. And uh, I have a son. My second son is a shearer, still shearing, um, and it's hard work. It's incredible hard work. Um, they certainly earn their money. Um, it's it's interesting when you go to shearing sheds that have had no one there for 12 months, sometimes two years, um, and you use the water out of the tanks, which um, I remember the first time I had a shower and I thought, What's that all over me? That was just the colour of the water. Um, really interesting, um, really interesting. But we end up running, buying the, the shearing uh, run then. And, yeah, a great experience, very grounding, uh, very Australian, yeah. uh, which was great. But also uh, from there, my journey of volunteering and working for the community started um, at New Charleville. And I think that was probably a, a great grounding as well give back to the community. I started that at quite a young age, really, um, and that um, that got me into housing and homelessness mm-hmm. where we grew um, a housing organisation um, out, out west and brought housing to the community that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And my passion and love for homelessness continues. I sit on a board now um of of housing and um i also went on to work in state government for housing managing community housing um well not community housing what was the public housing which is now social housing service center um and really a great uh grounding and a good um i think the, the working in a community for the community is um it's just a good a good experience all around. Mm-hmm. Um, you're giving back, and um, it's it's really worthy experience. Um, from that out west as well, um, I went on. We we purchased a number of businesses, um, and from there, I went into local government, and that was as a local government councillor. So mm-hmm. did two terms. Okay. Really interesting as well. Um, as you could imagine, it's not what you think it is. You go in thinking you're certainly going to change. Um, the community and, and change the world, really. That's how you go in there. There's very few people that don't go in there with that idea. And then you get in there and realise just how hard it is. Oh, for uh, sure. I, I know enough people in politics uh, at both the local, state and federal level to think there's no way you could pay me enough money to want to take on that challenge. And it must be really interesting for you at the moment. And I don't want to get too sort of sidelined by this because you know I'm really keen to talk a lot more about your current role. But um, to watch all what's going on at the moment, you know, these women coming out and talking about the toxic cultures mm. and, you know, the sexual harassment and, and so on. And I was just literally doing a podcast with somebody else before this. And I was saying, in many respects, you expect government to be the role models of good behaviour and good decision-making and good fiscal accountability and so on. And yet, I mean, the stuff that's coming out about how women are treated now, I mean, we moved past that in business 20 years ago, right? You're right. And I think you've just got to look at a session in Parliament to Mm. know what really goes on. It's a disgrace. And to think that we allow our school children to watch it. Uh, I could not agree (laughs) more. Seriously. I, I, I say to my kids, I say, if I behaved like that in business, yep. you know, standing up and calling people bloody scumbags and blah, 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 yep. blah, blah, man, I wouldn't even have a job, let alone a business. You'd be unemployable. And yet, as you say, we continue it's to vote. We vote for these people. 
I know. And, you know, I'm just so, you're disgusted, don't you, really? It's as blunt as that. You know, where's the show of respect for your colleagues, right or wrong, if you agree with their opinion or not? There's a level of respect that should be shown Mm. um, to to any human being, let alone in a business and if it's your colleague. Um, So, yeah, it's it's certainly industry. When Interesting. When I went in, it was quite a boys club. You know, it was... All males, um, I think there was one other female at, at the table, and we had 10. Um, and I can remember be called, being called Blondie, um, right. and <laughs> I chose to challenge, as you can only imagine. Um, and that did stop, but it certainly was an interesting journey, a rewarding one. Um, certainly they do pry into your personal life, and that can be tough for the family. There's no doubt about that. Um, but after having businesses, you know, in the main street of a small country town, you learn to toughen up. Um, or move out, it's as simple as that. So it, it was also, you know, once again, one of those learning um, experience, I, I got to, you know, sit on state boards and, and learn a lot about what happens with business. Um, and, you know, um, any local government needs to be run like a business. And that mm. was certainly what I tried to bring to the council. And I think what's important. So a very good journey in anyone's career. Um, but, yeah, not an easy one, I would say, and certainly not what you think when you step in that door the first day, you know, I'm going to change the world. Well, you know, it's going to be a long journey, let me tell you. For sure. Um, and yeah. so, so eventually you uh, wised up to that and you decided I'm going to go and, you know, do something else again. And so was that when you joined Gladstone Regional Council um, in uh, no, I was actually doing both at the time. I was also working for a community for community housing for the state government, but that okay. was with a local government as well. Um, and then I went to Gladstone to um, manage their Department of Housing Service mm-hmm. Centre. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, yes, I did go to Gladstone Regional Council, stayed with Gladstone Regional Council for seven years mm-hmm. uh, and looked after all of their human services. Certainly went through the uh, Curtis Island with all the gas proponents, mm-hmm. which was a very interesting uh, journey and, once again, um, uh, a, um, a good learning experience for anyone's career and because I did a housing initiative there for the Gladstone region. Uh, so that was great and, once again, fulfilled my passion for housing. Um, interesting, um, you know, Gladstone is a, a boom and bust town because it's an indus- in industrial town um, and they certainly did go up and down and, you know, they're coming up again now, so that's that's great to see. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, interesting journey. And uh, from there I went to aged care for a, um, a, a, a national aged care organisation mm-hmm. and was their general manager for Queensland of Care Services. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, community services or human services is something that I've been in really my mm-hmm. entire life because you could certainly call, um, uh, you know, Gladstone, you know, council that and mm-hmm. um, anything that I've done with the uh, state government has or even the federal government has also been very much um very much, you know, human services. Sure. So interesting, um, yeah, interesting journey. Okay. And so four years ago, uh, how did the CEO opportunity with Southern Cross come up on your radar? That was interesting because I had seen, I had, like I said, been working uh, for a statewide aged care provider and a um, an, a, an ad came up for a position in, Bundaberg in, in mm-hmm. this organisation 
um, as an ops manager and, and that's where I started. It was very interesting. My first interview was five hours long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> extensive, you could say. <laughs> was, um, that, was that with a recruiter or with them directly? That was with the owner. So wow. the yeah. director at the time, which was the CEO. Yeah. Little did I know I was being interviewed for the CEO's role, really, oh, though. Okay. Um, very, very interesting. Um, and wasn't really what I was after, to tell you the truth, at the time, but mm-hmm. certainly... Um, was an interesting interview and respected the business um, savviness, I guess, of the owner mm-hmm. um, and his passion for mm-hmm. his clients and for the business. Okay. And that's what uh, got me in. Right. And so, as you say, I mean, you're only in the operations management role for a very short period, just a few months. Yes. And, and, and so when you were brought into the role of CEO, what I'm always interested in is, you know, what was the mandate? Cheryl, we want you to be the CEO we want you to go and do this. What, you know, what were you being empowered or, you know, what, what was your mandate? Uh, I think it really was to lead us through into the NDIS. The NDIS hadn't been rolled out uh, at that stage um, in any of the areas that we worked, which was only Bundaberg, Harvey Bay and Rockhampton. So it hadn't been rolled out at that stage. So it really was to bring us through a period of the NDIS, so disability services moving into the NDIS, uh, which we successfully did. And um, with that, we grew our child safety and we grew our, um, I guess, our, our staff as well in that mm-hmm. time. I guess what I would say is that it was a really good partnership and remains to be that with the directors. There are, are only two directors. And we do work as a team um, and that has seen us grow from 175 staff when I started four years ago to 1,045 today. It's also taken us from three areas until across the um, uh, across the state and nationwide in some, some parts of our business. So mm-hmm. it's a great, um, I guess we're a good competition. A combination we certainly our strengths and our weaknesses work really well together mm-hmm. and even though you've owned your own businesses and you've been a counselor and so on i mean this is your first you know proper true ceo gig right absolutely so, so when when you were offered that role what kind of self inquiry did you do to go hmm if i'm actually going to make a success of this role these are this these are perhaps some areas that i need to focus on um you know either through education or getting a mentor or you know to upskill myself to really do this job to the best of my ability yeah look richard i think it's um very much wanted to be an authentic leader Mm -hmm. and to me it was important that i remain that way Um, I am that type of person straight away when you meet me, what you see is what you get. And I believe that authentic leaders um, are the best leaders in in my view. Mm -hmm. So one of the things was to remain authentic. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing for me was to be able to self-reflect. I think that's incredibly important. And and I only just um, yesterday in our executive team uh, meeting, I shared a a, a YouTube on that very thing, that sometimes we um, decide for whatever reason, I think it's our unconscious bias really, that we don't agree with someone. And even when you know they've probably got some good reasoning, you dig your toes in because, no, that's my belief. Yeah. Um, But you have to step back sometimes. 
and look at the bigger picture or, or think, well, you know what, I really need to consider that regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that un- unconsciously, I think, dig our toes in. So that was something that I actually took on a leadership um, 12-month study um, that was all about being authentic and being able to stand back and don't let that um, unconscious bias get hold of you too much because okay. I do believe it can destroy you. There are definitely. And and so sorry, so you went and did a 12-month you know, self-development program. Mm. Who, who did you do that through? Uh, Women's Leadership Australia, Australia, oh. Australia Women's Leadership, yeah. Fantastic. I've not heard of that before. You'd recommend it? I would recommend it. Unfortunately, halfway through COVID came. Uh-huh. I'm very much a touch field type of person, so it did end up being online the whole course, the, re- the remainder mm-hmm. of the course. Um, I, I'm not a online person full mm-hmm. on, so, yeah. you know, I preferred the first six months of it, not the last, you could say. Yeah. Um, even though, you look, these things are great, you know, um, Zoom, Teams, whatever you want to call it is wonderful, um, it's not like uh, face-to-face, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, the I, way I, the world. I, I agree. I, uh, I, I probably changed my opinion now because Zoom is just so much a part of our professional oh. life. But, uh, you know, back when I originally went to do an MBA, it was an online MBA, and I just couldn't. I, it, you know, I didn't enjoy mm-hmm. it. I didn't yes. feel engaged. And That's so, it. But then when I went back and did a what the, an executive MBA at QUT, we actually showed up. Uh, yes. The experience was completely different. So I understand exactly mm. what you're saying. And so over the four years you've been at um, Southern Cross, if you look back um, now, what, what are some of the key milestones you'd go, wow, like, you know, when this happened, that was a real step change for us. And, um, you know, there might be a couple of sort of times through that four years where there was a substantive shift. Um, I think the first 12 months was interesting. We um, we didn't have an executive leadership team at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, and look, you know, it's it's we are in a regional area, so to get those staff that have had some great experiences in other organisations bigger than ours was hard. Mm-hmm. So it was about bringing people um, along for the journey with us mm-hmm. um, as we grew. Um, and so that was challenging, as you could imagine, um, but also rewarding to see the growth within the team. So I think that was one of the first things was to build a good executive team. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, of course, was to keep up with the NDIS. It's a changing beast. Uh, I make no mistake about that. And it's been incredibly challenging for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really challenging for the staff um, as well with the changes. So I think that was another thing is to be able to bring staff along for a journey when you go from a small organisation uh, to a large organisation that spans the state. It's not like a family anymore. Um, to try to keep that family feel has been challenging. Mm. Um, so that's something we've worked incredibly hard to do. Um, so, and- Cheryl, sorry, before you move on. So it is challenging to do, especially in a business that's growing not only in time, I mean, a 1,000 employees is a big business, and, and, mm-hmm. and as well as the fact that you're working over multiple locations across an entire state. So how do you keep a family culture? Look, you know, I think it's um, we're working very hard at the moment uh, because a lot of our staff are out in the field and may never come to the office. Mm. Uh, we work with the challenging clients, the top end, you know, uh, complex um, 
complex clients. So it is very hard for our staff. They're amazing. Our, our field staff uh, do an incredible job and I take my hat off to them every day. I think it's about making sure uh, that we respect our staff, mm. that you stay in contact with the staff as much as possible. We're rolling out training at the moment and certainly over the last 12 months we've committed to a lot of training. Um, it's about making sure that our senior managers understand how important it is to value our staff and respect our staff. Um, you know, I, I know in interviews when you ask the question, what's, who's more important, our staff or our clients, often, often the applicant will say the clients because that's what they want you to say mm. uh, or they think that's what they want. But seriously, um, if you don't have happy staff, you don't have happy clients. It really is as simple as yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I still take our clients to lunch. I take our staff mm -hmm. to lunch. It doesn't matter what level mm -hmm. of staff. I'm exactly the same as any other member um, of the team. I just have a high level of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's important that staff see that. Mm -hmm. Staff can um, meet with me whenever they want um, and we need all of our managers to be like that. We need um, all of our managers to be in contact with their staff for us to value our staff. I think that's the biggest push that I can say to anyone. Um, and make sure that we mentor our staff. It's all very well to be in contact with them, but if you're not mentoring them, you're not guiding them, um, they don't know what they don't know. And mm. I think it's really easy for us to assume that they do uh, because we're doing the job or we've done the job before so they should know. Um, we all know that's not the case. Sometimes you have to be supported through areas that, that um, you may not have thought yourself that, you know, someone might be great in the theory but are not good with handling staff, might be great with the admin side. And it's up to the managers that are leading them to work with them to make sure that they do have the resources and the skills to do the job that we've actually put them into. Mm -hmm. And it's um, obviously working. It's obviously working. Yeah, it is uh, working. You know, you, you guys are absolutely flying. And, and and so so I was interested in drilling down a little bit more on that, but um, you were talking about some of these key milestones over the four years. Um, and, and so, you know, what else would you, you know, put attention towards? Yeah, I think um, when we started to expand into new regions, we learned lessons, mm -hmm. uh, good and bad. Um, and that was interesting. Our, you know, we went into Gladstone and, and that wasn't too far away. We went into Mackay and that worked well. We went into Brisbane. It's a whole different ballgame mm. for, for an organisation that's been regionally based, and we learnt a lot of lessons there. Um, so I think there was lots of lessons to learn um, and so and for us to be able to reflect on those, and I talked about talked about reflecting before, that's very important. But then to, to, to see what's happening in the industry, not just um, nationally but globally, mm. is very important as well. You know, we want to bring best, best practice to our organisation. Um, and to do that um, globally, you know, we're all pretty close these days. It's, it's, it's certainly uh, they're just our neighbours and we need to be able to learn from that as well. So mm. learn from experience and don't be afraid to do that. Um, is something that we found. So a couple of things uh, I'm interested in exploring there. So firstly, you said moving to Brisbane, a whole different ball game. Was that because there's substantively more competition here or was it because the way of doing business in a larger, you know, um, capital city is different or, you know, what do you, what do you put that down to? Um, I think it is different um, in the fact that when you're used to being very close to, um, to your management staff, 
in a regional area, which we are, mm -hmm. and you've got your head office in a regional area. Um, and then when you build in um, like the southeast, let's just say uh, somewhere in Brisbane and, and regions uh, down to the Gold Coast, and you build an area, you can't take your finger off the pulse at all. Right. So I think it's making sure that you have the right infrastructure, whether that's, you know, human or, or, or otherwise, mm -hmm. um, in place. Uh, so th I think that's the difference of just because we're used to working in a head office and in a regional area. Right. Yes, it is a different um, in environment. And, you know, you're doing things, um, I guess, from afar. Um, so and that's it, important. Yeah. So it's more a, it was more a structural thing rather than a, an environmental thing. Yeah, I do think it was structural. Right. That's right. Okay. Yes. And then yep. the second thing, you know, I, uh, uh, I think you raised a very valid point. You know, we are living in a global um, community now and, and the world has become much smaller and it is fantastic that you're looking, you know, to what's happening at world's best practice um, across the globe. So how do you, how do you do that? You know, do you, uh, are there particular, you know, global groups that you participate in or are there, how do you make sure that you stay connected and observant? Yeah, and that's within CEO groups that do global work and that um, I can connect in with on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very interesting to be able to talk to other uh, businesses and CEOs, you know, I guess around the world globally. Mm -hmm. um, does make a difference to see what's happening. You know, we have an um, uh, Blue Summer that builds your specialist, um, this is, so your SDA housing for your NDIS. And you know, having a look, what, what is the best housing that we can put down? What is the best robust housing that, that we can build? And having a look what they are doing, let's say, in aged care in different parts of the world, and there's some amazing initiatives out there. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's about learning, you know, what is happening. Um, and there's some amazing things happening in Australia too, don't get me wrong. The focus is certainly in both areas. And for us to be able to learn from that mm -hmm. and see what we can do and how we can um, build our business um with those learnings okay great so um let's look to the future now uh what are you excited about for the future for southern cross and what are you excited about for the future of your career uh, for Southern Cross, I think it's uh, working with um, our partners like I say one of them is blue summer that builds disability housing um, and that's really exciting. There's lots of new bills um, throughout Queensland that are happening. So that's a very exciting time for us. Um, I think it's expanding into different areas like your aged care or your training so that we can deliver better training for our staff. Mm -hmm. That's very exciting as well. Um, I think it's about more... Um, a focus more on our staff and our clients, as in, like I say, what is the best practice out there? Mm -hmm. What is it that that would really add value to our clients' lives? Mm -hmm. um, so that's an exciting journey as well, and we, we do have many things happening there. It's about, um, for myself, um, I think it's about challenging myself to be able to, to go to that next level, to have a look and be doing um, innovative work within the sector. Mm -hmm. um, it's about connecting and um, with other organisations and other businesses and seeing what we can achieve as a collective. Mm -hmm. Seeing what we can um, achieve for our communities at the same time is something that is very important to me. 
um, and something that has, you know, um, is good for our own organisation, you know, as well as myself, mm-hmm. is to be connected with the community. So challenging myself, uh, growing our executive team and um, doing really innovative stuff within the industry and certainly within our in in our housing mm-hmm. um for our for our clients mm-hmm. and uh as somebody who's been an entrepreneur and a politician and has worked in government and is now a ceo of a very substantive organization uh how do you i mean are you still able to scratch your entrepreneurial itch do you have a do you have a couple of side hustles with your husband uh, from a business point of view or uh, do you want to go back? Do, do you see yourself going back into being a business owner? Uh, Look, we, we do own a couple of businesses of our own. Um, we're on the land and, and really in, enjoying that. Um, but I think it's uh, I'm always pushed to have a look at um, what we can, you know, I think the next phase for me will be mentoring, more mentoring of, our, of staff or, okay. or going out into that area. I love the idea of uh, supporting those people less fortunate mm-hmm. than myself. So in homelessness, I will continue my um, board duties there and the governance there. Um, I really enjoy being a part of a, a board and, and, and having a look. We're building some some uh, wonderful stuff in one of the boards that I sit in and um, or sit on, and I think that's uh, a great journey for me as well. Um, but I know for Southern Cross Support Services, we have many, many things on the go, probably things that I can't share with you at the moment, Richard, but watch this space and uh, I think that you'd be surprised if we were to come back in 12 months' time, just what we've got planned. There's some great things happening with this organisation. It, it will continue to grow. It will continue to branch out into different arms. Um, but uh, some wonderful things coming along for our staff and for our clients um, in the future. Well, that might have to be a podcast uh you know, uh, edition two, uh, volume two. But, uh, but this is an audio podcast, but as I'm watching Cheryl, I can see a big smile come to your face. So <laughs> you're obviously pretty excited about that. And uh, and so, look, just before we wrap it up, um, we've spoken a lot about your professional career and a little bit about your sort of entrepreneurial career and so on. But, um, you know, what's Cheryl like when she's not at work? Uh, what, what do you do to keep the petrol tank full and, uh, you know, uh, remaining... Uh, energized about life oh look I love my gym absolutely <laughs> love it um it's probably one of my passions I'm um I'm learning to I guess you could say run not right. been a big runner all my life certainly go out for a bit of a jog so that's mm-hmm. something you know you have to conquer something don't you yeah. uh, uh to keep you going so that's something a journey that I'm on at the moment um Look, I love my family, love my uh, my children, uh, their children, and uh, that's always uh, very fulfilling and um, rewarding. Uh, for myself, I can't wait for COVID to be over, but we all know it never will. Um, you know, we're at the moment rolling out, we're working with and, and um, working through vaccinations for clients and staff for mm-hmm. that, you know, that choose to go down that, that avenue. Um, and and that's a um, an important time um, in history, is it not, uh, for everyone? Um, but certainly for me personally, I think um, I just need to. 
travel a little bit more. So, so what's, what's going to be the first destination uh, on the list? And did you ever get to Kenya? No, I didn't, but I did get to Africa, but I didn't get to Kenya. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I don't really know um, a different culture. I think um, Sri Lanka was on my list, but just missed out. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, probably Sri Lanka, I would say. That could Fair be enough. a long time coming, though, couldn't it? Uh, well, uh, here's hoping. You know, I, I have a, a desire. Uh, the last time I travelled overseas was Christmas two years ago, you know, and uh, we got back just prior to COVID. Um, right. And, uh, and man, it's just, it's been a, a crazy 18 months. And I don't know. I don't know when we'll be able to travel again. I, I, no. can't, I can't see it happening this year. But, no, um, neither can I. Yeah. Did anyway. you ever think in your history, though, that um, something like this would happen? It's really hard to fathom, isn't it? Oh, look, I think um, I think the actual nature of what's happened, uh, but look, you know, without going down a massive rabbit hole here because uh, we don't really have time, when the population is growing so incredibly fast, mm. you know, um, uh, and I can't remember what the statistics were, are, but I, I think, you know, to, for the population to grow from... 1 billion to 2 billion people took, you know, 100 years or whatever. But, you know, it's we're doubling and doubling and doubling. Something's mm. got to give, right? Yeah, you know? true. Um, and uh, whether it's a pandemic or, or something else, I mean, the earth, um, I was just talking in another podcast, you know, I don't think humans are killing the earth. The earth is going to be fine. It's just the earth's ability to sustain human life. Right. Mm. So at some point, we, if we don't get our act together, are just no longer going to be around. And, um, yeah. you know, it'll be time for the evolution of whatever comes after human beings. But, um, yeah. That's an uh, interesting take. Well, I mean, the, the dinosaurs probably thought they were going to rule the earth forever. Oh, and for sure. Look, yeah. And now, yeah. now they're a distant memory. Well, it'll be the same for humans. Um, oh, absolutely. Nothing seems to, to be um, unrealistic these days, does it? You know, um, after going through this, it's, um, it, it, like I say, anything could happen. Um, or, or, yeah. <laughs> so in the meantime, what I say is do what you love, you know. We're not so going to be around forever. So why do things you don't want to do when you could do what you'd rather do? So just put your attention to what you'd love. And Cheryl, you obviously love what you do. It's yes. been a fantastic conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think there's some great learnings in there uh, for people. And uh, I wish you a, a very fond afternoon. Thank you, Richard. You Thank too. You. Look after yourself. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. If you'd like a free copy of Richard Triggs' book, Uncover the Hidden Job Market, How to Find and Win Your Next Senior Executive Role, please visit uncoverthehiddenjobmarket.com to register your details. The Arate podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network.